0: Tune in as we continue to update our podcast with informative talks and articles for Masons worldwide and those who would like to inquire within. The Seven Wonders of the Masonic World, a tour guide, Daniel D. Hantula, 32nd degree. So there's actually an opening statement here. As we go about our daily routines and travels, the curious Freemason encounters stunning Masonic marvels that absolutely take his breath away. Daniel Hantula, 32nd degree, has written a marvelous little book, The Masonic Tour Guide, Volume 1, Wonders and Merriment, that delivers on its promise to be a tour guide for the curious, new, as well as seasoned, visiting Mason. The section, titled The Seven Wonders of the Masonic World, delivers on its promise. The original Seven Wonders of the World were selected by the ancient Greeks to highlight the most significant places in their explored universe. Likewise, these wonders of the Masonic world feature the most amazing Masonic structures that have withstood the test of time and serve as illustrious icons of our ancient and honorable fraternity. Written by illustrious Gregory S. Kearse, 33rd degree. The George Washington Masonic National Memorial. If you have one place to begin your Masonic travels, there is no better starting point than this striking monument which dominates the cityscape of Alexandria, Virginia. Fashioned after one of the original seven wonders of the ancient world, the Lighthouse of Alexandria, Egypt, this incredible structure has become our single beacon of unmitigated Masonic pride and a universal place of assembly even before it was built. The original call for all Grand Masters of the United States to assemble on February 22, 1910, the 178th anniversary of Washington's birth, brought representatives from 26 jurisdictions to architect a suitable memorial to our first president and worthy brother. The results of the National Memorial Association founded on that day took 60 years to complete, and the result was good, true, and square. Masonic numerologists will find countless examples of symbolism in every size and proportion, including the fact that floors 3, 5, 7, and 9 are are of equal height, and the three sections of the tower have Doric, Ionic, and Corinthian columns stacked in increasing complexity. Just standing outside the 333-foot structure will inspire a sense of pride and awe unlike any other Masonic edifice in the world. Once inside the memorial, visitors will be instantly overwhelmed with the opulence, splendor, and massive scale of the Memorial Hall that showcases a 17-foot bronze statue of George Washington in full Masonic regalia, just beyond eight granite, Corinthian-style columns. The building has several floors dedicated to appended bodies of Freemasonry, and depending on the date of your visit, they may be closed for remodeling or repair. However, visitors should seek out the capitular state masonry room on the fifth floor to find their local York Rite body in the nationwide collection of chapter pennies and walk around the outside of the Grand Masonic Hall to find their state's iconic building represented in the Golden Age of Masonic Architecture exhibit. In 2016, the memorial launched the Landmark Century Campaign, the first full-scale restoration of the monument since the building was completed almost 100 years ago. The program seeks to renovate the 5th through 7th floor exteriors, the large murals featuring George Washington painted by brother Alan Cox on display in the memorial hall, and add a new direct sidewalk through the plaza, which was in the original architectural plans from the 20s. The goal is to complete all this work by 2023, the centennial anniversary of the memorial's cornerstone, which was laid November 1, 1923. Each year, on or around the fourth Saturday in February, George Washington Masonic National Memorial honors the birthday of Brother Washington with a wreath laying at Mount Vernon, an educational program, and a banquet with entertainment. Many of the events surrounding this celebration are available to the public at no charge, while some are exclusive and open only to contributors, who are dubbed members of the George Washington Memorial Society. The Memorial Society is one of several ways that Freemasons and the general public can help support the building and property. The latest program, Friends of the Memorial, has tiered donation levels allowing members to contribute as they are able and receive benefits as their contributions build. For example, a certificate is featured on the silver $100 level, a DVD for gold $250, gift shop discounts for platinum $500 contributors, while New Century $1,000 donors are listed on a bronze plaque at the Memorial Hall. Diamond or $2,500 supporters receive free admission to the memorial for up to four people, a print, and a higher discount at the gift shop. The memorial is open seven days a week from 9 to 5, holidays accepted. The one-hour guided tour of the memorial is offered five times each day, 9, 30, 11, 1, and 4, and tours of 10 or more visitors require advance notice. The cost is $15 with a $1 discount available to masons who carry a dues card from a grand jurisdiction that contributes $1 per member each year to the memorial. And then it gives a list or a link to the list. One piece of resounding feedback this author has received from the numerous visitors to the Masonic Memorial is how knowledgeable the tour conductors are on Brother Washington and the fraternity in general. Even the non-Masonic guides paint an excellent picture of our tenants, our history, and our beloved brother. In short, if there is only money in the budget for one Masonic trip in a lifetime, this is absolutely the best U.S.-based destination one can select. The Grand Lodge of Pennsylvania The Grand Lodge of Pennsylvania is the largest and claims to be the oldest Masonic jurisdiction in the United States. According to the Masonic Service Association, Pennsylvania accounted for 8.76% of all American Freemasons in 2015 and was the only American jurisdiction to have more than 100,000 members that year. A brief history on the jurisdiction. 1731, Provincial Grand Lodge of Pennsylvania was founded. 1817, Library instituted. 1873, temple built at 1 North Broad Street, 1908, museum established. The building's museum features more than 30,000 items, including George Washington's Masonic Apron, while the library, originally conceived as a gentleman's reading room, contains in excess of hundred thousand documents, manuscripts, and volumes. The complete library collection is viewable online, and Freemasons who are members of the Grand Lodge of Pennsylvania can reserve items via the internet. However, The most exquisite jewel in the Grand Lodge of Pennsylvania's crown has to be the temple itself, built in 1873. The building features resplendent rooms based on themes of the ancient architectural world including Corinthian, Egyptian, Grecian, Ionic, and Moorish designs, while the Pendant Orders are represented with Italian Renaissance for the Royal Arch Chapter and Gothic for the Knights Templar Rooms. Even the main entrance is designed in the style of 11th- and 12th-century churches and opens to a neoclassical-style grand hall decorated with Doric columns and Tennessee marble. Throughout the building, Masonic symbolism is commingled with the opulent features and furnishings, including rooms lit to match the different stations of the sun and two illuminated globes crowning pillars in the central stairwell. Atop the grand staircase is an ornate stained-glass window with Masonic symbols and a depiction of the four cardinal virtues. Many ceilings in the building are painted to represent the starry canopy of heaven with star fields and constellations. Considerable accommodations have been made for the Right Worshipful Grand Master within the temple. A two-year term of office in the Grand Lodge of Pennsylvania, the Grand Master has at his disposal a private office with restroom, an ante-room, a small meeting room, and a large private wood-paneled conference room. In addition, portrait and full-length paintings of the past Grand featured throughout the building. Every journey begins with a single step. These two Masonic masterpieces are well worth the visit and experience. Fine dining can also be had at nearby restaurants in these two historic American cities. Alright, thanks for joining us and we're going to share what is written as the Seven Wonders of the Masonic World and this is part of a tour guide by Daniel D. Hantula. So in no particular order, we're going to start with the Masonic. The Grand Lodge of Michigan of Free and Accepted Masons, commonly known as the Grand Lodge of Michigan, in tandem with the most worshipful Prince Hall Grand Lodge of Michigan, govern the practice of regular Freemasonry in the state of Michigan. It is uncertain exactly when Freemasonry came to the Great Lakes area. However, it is known that it was first brought to the area by the French at a time when it was Indian territory. The earliest documented lodge west of the Allegheny Mountains was warranted in Detroit on April 27, 1764, by George Harrison, Provincial Grand Master of the Provincial Grand Lodge of New York, with Lieutenant John Christie of the 2nd Battalion, 60th Royal American Foot Regiment as Worshipful Master. By 1772, there were at least three lodges functioning at Detroit. Lodge number one and two Irish military lodges, numbers 299 and 378, warranted to masons of the 10th regiment, then stationed at Detroit. The next three lodges warranted for work in Michigan were also started by members of the visiting military. These were Harmony Lodge in Detroit, St. John's Lodge Number 15 on the island of Mackinac, and Zion Lodge Number 10, now Number 1, warranted in 1794 for work in Detroit. When a building calls itself the Masonic, it had better come with some serious credentials to back up the name, and this 12 million cubic foot structure in downtown Detroit does not disappoint in terms of history, character, or Masonic utility. In fact, the very purpose of the facility was to host dozens of Masonic orders simultaneously without any difficulty. This meant constructing 1,037 rooms, including eight lodge rooms and a massive tower, each featuring a unique design style and a set of Fellowcraft three, five, and seven steps stairs. A custom 17,500 square foot commandery room features a cushioned floor to ease the strain on officers performing the floor work required by the Templar orders. The exterior of the building features an amazing sculpture of Freemasonry's first three Grand Masters, King Solomon, Hiram of Tyre, and Hiram of Biff. Interestingly enough, just below is a sculpture of the building's designer, George Mason, that is his name, and he was a member of the fraternity, holding a scale model of the temple itself in his clutches. The cornerstone was laid on September 18, 1922, using the same trowel that George Washington used to mark the perimeter of Washington, D.C., According to Alex Lundberg and Greg Kowalski in Detroit's Masonic Temple, two ballrooms in the basement were completed first so that they could be used to host events to raise funds for the rest of the construction. The first concert in the theater was held on Washington's birthday, February 22, 1926. The building was dedicated on Thanksgiving Day that same year. Reportedly, thousands of Detroit citizens were on hand at each of these monumental events. Nevertheless, the financial picture for the Masonic has not always been positive. In the early days, many sections of the building, including a swimming pool, gym, and a penthouse theater room, were never completed due to the Great Depression. More recently, the 21st century brought a second round of serious financial strife, with utility bills stacking up and property tax debt that threatened foreclosure. A famous Detroit musician, Jack White of the White Stripes, donated a six-figure sum to bail out the building. But even with the financial assistance, the future of the building is uncertain, especially daunting as the Masonic nears its centennial birthday, due in 2026. The building is currently used in many different ways and open to the public in order to help alleviate the costs with which it is burdened, including concerts, trade shows, and weddings, with in-season Saturday reservations starting at $15,000 a day for filming and production companies the temple is one of only two state of michigan certified post-production facilities and the only state-certified qualified film production facility in the city of detroit corporate sponsors host product launches fundraisers fundraisers and seminars for a variety of organizations and businesses tours of the detroit masonic temple are available on the first and third saturdays of the month at 10 a.m except holidays for fifteen dollars per person with group rates available to masonic and nonprofit organizations Tours outside the regular schedule are available with at least one week advance notice, and only when tour guides are available, for $30 a person. Photography classes and tours of no more than 10 per group can be scheduled for $30 per person. All tours must be booked in advance by calling 313-832-7100. And in no particular order, our second stop on the Seven Wonders of the Masonic World is the Iowa Masonic Library and Museum. Again, by Daniel D. Hantula, 32nd degree. In 1884, the first Masonic library building anywhere in the world was opened to the public in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. The building was supposed to last 100 years, but nobody predicted the impact the building would have on the collections which grew so quickly that the building housing them proved too small and crowded. Thus, in 1952, the old library was demolished, and the current marble building opened on the same site in 1955. Touted as one of the largest Masonic libraries in the world, the Iowa Masonic Library and Museum was founded in 1845 with just $5 furnished to the Grand Secretary, in 1845 approximately $130 today. Five Masonic books were purchased that year to form the beginning of a collection that today boasts over 150,000 manuscripts, references, and volumes. The present-day home of this amazing compilation was built in 1955 to serve as the Grand Lodge of Iowa, AF and AM. The Iowa Library is one of the most often used and visited resources by Masonic researchers and scholars in the United States. The Library is making strides to be a leader in the 21st century with a complete online catalog and a device for scanning older books and providing them an electronic format to protect the originals. While the titles can be perused, online reservations are not yet available to the public. The Iowa Masonic Library and Museum is open to Freemasons and the general public between 8 to 12 p.m. and 1 to 5 p.m. Monday through Friday, with after-hours appointments available upon request. Guided tours of the collection and exhibits are available at no charge. However, visitors should call ahead, 319-365-1438, to schedule an appointment with a tour guide. The Iowa Library was a principal resource in Alton Roundtree's popular book about the emergence of what is commonly called Prince Hall Freemasonry. Brother Roundtree, editor of the Prince Hall Masonic Digest and a fellow of the Philaxis Society, had this to say about the resources of the Iowa Masonic Library, which he calls a research mecca. The Iowa Masonic Library played a major role in writing out of the shadows. Seemingly all needed materials, proceedings, books, periodicals, and collections are in the Iowa Masonic Library, The library collection of proceedings pertaining to Negro or colored Grand Lodges, today's Prince Hall Grand Lodges, and information concerning allied and appended bodies were imperative in the research effort. I could not have written Chapter 4, National Grand Lodge, without visiting the Iowa Masonic Library. One cannot talk about visiting the Iowa Masonic Library primarily to review Prince Hall Grand Lodge proceedings without telling the truth about the lack of a central repository of proceedings and other documents pertaining to Prince Hall Freemasonry. Who does not want to be stranded? Masonic Island, Lake Metagosh, North Dakota. Who does not want to be stranded on a magical island? The annual meeting of the Peace Garden Lodge of Freemasons. See the Extraordinary Opportunities for Affiliation section. May also include a journey to Masonic Island, a landmass owned by the Grand Lodge of North Dakota. The 7.2 acre property was, according to research from Grand Historian, Most Worshipful James Savalogia, purchased from the government in 1899 by Brother V. B. Noble. The property was transferred to the North Dakota Masonic Foundation in 1933. The Grand Lodge dedicated the property in 1934 and built an outdoor lodge and a fellow craft stairwell on the island in 1935. The stairwell, reached by passing two pillars and consisting of three, five, and seven steps, carries traveling men from the boat dock toward the outdoor lodge room and is decorated in beautiful Masonic blue with gold accents. The outdoor lodge features the three officer stations, pedestals, and a Masonic altar in the center constructed with mortar and beach stones and trimmed in blue. Here, the second section of the third degree is conferred, and, as you might expect, is a meeting only open to Master Masons. Profane friends and family are sometimes given a pontoon boat tour of Lake Metagoshi during this time. Perhaps the most interesting historical account of this island comes from the North Dakota Mason magazine, November 2012. It is a known fact that Masonic Island was probably the first place where visas to enter the United States were lifted for Masons of Canada during World War II by an agreement between President Roosevelt and Prime Minister Mackenzie King, who were both members of the fraternity. This agreement stated that the Canadian Masons could enter the United States by both from the north shore of Lake Mitagoshi, which is in Canada. As long as their feet never touched the shoreline of the lake in the U.S., and they landed only at Masonic Island when a meeting would be held, they would not be in violation of our wartime rules of entry. Thus, when your feet touched the shoreline of Masonic Island in Lake Mitagoshi, you are visiting part of an amazing Masonic history of our country shared with our Canadian neighbors to the north. Lake Metagoshi lies across the U.S.-Canadian boundary line. About one and a half miles south of the Canadian boundary is the 7.2-acre spot of land, Masonic Island. The first Masonic meeting was held there in 1906, when Tuscan Lodge opened Lodge and then permitted West Hope Lodge to confer the Master Mason degree. Over the years, the island was frequently used for Masonic meetings, with attendance sometimes reaching 500 or more. A complete outdoor lodge room and a staircase leading up from the dock were built in 1935. Today, Masonic Island is being restored as a special historic location in the Turtle Mountains. The island lays claim to being the only spot in the area untouched by the fires and other disasters of nature, which decimated old growths of oak trees and other flora and fauna. Because of the island's location in the center of the lake, it has some of the oldest trees and most unusual plants in the state. Every Mason should visit at least one of these treasures in his lifetime. Moving on with the Seven Wonders of the Masonic World. The House of the Temple, 1733 16th Street, Northwest, Washington, D.C., 20009-3103. In October 1909, carte blanche was given to James D. Richardson, Grand Commander of the Ancient and Accepted Scottish Rite, Southern Jurisdiction, USA, to do any and all things necessary and proper in connection herewith, including the purchase of the necessary real estate and the erector of a suitable building, furnishing the same, etc. He took this responsibility to heart as he made a proclamation to the members of the Scottish Rite. In the attempt to execute it i have felt that we were building not for today or the next year or the year after but most probably for 50 years and that as nothing is too good for our counselor for scottish Rite masonry the temple should be built right so that it could and would be pointed to by our brethren here and elsewhere as the pride of the mother council of the Rite and all scottish Rite masons in the world we are building a temple a permanent home in the great capital of the greatest nation of the earth I would prefer to be criticized for building a temple considered by some too fine and costly, rather than for a cheap or mediocre building, surrounded as it will be by the beautiful structures of our capital. Better not build at all, than only halfway build, while we are engaged in the laudable enterprise. And that is a quote from illustrious James D. Richardson, 33rd degree, Grand Commander, 1901-1914. to Just as the George Washington National Masonic Memorial was fashioned after one of the Seven Wonders of the Ancient World, the Lighthouse of Alexandria, the House of the Temple took its design from the Tomb of Mausolus at Halicarnassus, Turkey. It was designed by 36-year-old John Russell Pope as his first commission in Washington, D.C. Later, he went on to design the National Archives in 1937, National Gallery of Art in 1940, and the Thomas Jefferson Memorial in 1943. Richardson extended the same power of carte blanche to Pope, telling him to make the new temple as magnificent as art and money can make it. Those words were well heeded. The 130-foot-high structure features a breathtaking ionic columnade that supports the stepped pyramid roof. In front sit two impressive limestone sphinxes carved on site by sculptor Adolf A. Weinman, famous for designing the walking liberty and winged mercury coins. And passing the outer gate, visitors will continue to be inundated Opulent interior. Even just by entering on French tavernel beige marble inlaid with black marble originating from the Greek Isle of Tinos. The focal point of the atrium is a massive pavanazzo marble table imported from Italy, which was inspired by a table found in the ruins of a Pompeian home. The table features four double-headed eagles, the chief symbol of Scottish Rite Masonry, supporting the base of the table with the words salve frater, meaning welcome brother, carved on the side facing the entrance. Passing the atrium, visitors ascend the grand staircase, which features a hidden passage doorway within it, at the top of the Tyler Station with the admonition, know thyself engraved in stone. Although it is protected by large leather-covered wooden doors weighing 300 pounds each, the temple room admits all who knock, and those who enter will instantly find profound peace due to the eight-foot thick walls that surround the eight-story tall room. In the center, a massive marble altar holds several philosophical and religious texts and is naturally lit by a 332-ton dome roof 100 feet above the kneeling pad. According to the A&ASR-GD, only one section of the building has been significantly redesigned since it opened in 1915. The Pillars of Charity Alcove recognizes donors who have been especially generous to the fraternity and its charities, and features a stained-glass portrayal of the House of the Temple, illuminated by 33 rays of light with a double-headed eagle, the Scottish Rite's 32nd-degree symbol, rising above. On either side of the alcove are busts of Albert Pike, Grand Commander of the Supreme Council from 1859 until his death in 1891, and John Henry Cowles, the last Grand Commander to reside inside the House of the Temple during his term. Both are entombed behind their statues, thanks to special acts of Congress passed in 1944 and 1953. Several other truly impressive parts of the building must be seen during a visit, including the Executive Chamber, a 33-seat boardroom for the Supreme Council, which has all the royal fittings of the finest king's court, the Robert Burns Library, one of the largest collections of the author's works outside of Scotland, the Albert Pike Museum, featuring the personal effects of the Masonic scholar and philosopher, The main library and reading room, according to the a and S J, Albert Pike is responsible for creating the first library open to the public in the District of Columbia. They now have more than 250,000 precious books, manuscripts, and other publications. One-hour tours are available at no charge Monday through Thursday throughout the day. Check the website for a current schedule. They recommend a morning tour to avoid larger groups and encourages visitors to bring their cameras. However, commercial photography is not allowed. The building is not air-conditioned in many spaces, so visitors should dress accordingly, including comfortable shoes. Business hours are 7 to 5, Monday through Thursday, and the library is open Monday through Thursday, 8 to 5. Three-day weekend travelers should note that the temple is completely closed on Fridays and federal holidays, including adhering to government-inclement weather closings. Moving along to our next Masonic Wonder. Many historic and elegant structures in New York City are universally well known, from the Statue of Liberty to the Empire State Building and the restored World Trade Center site. These iconic edifices are admired by hundreds of thousands of visitors to the city yearly. However, unfortunately, sophisticated Masonic structures generally go unnoticed and are not as often visited by tourists as well as New York's homegrown denizens. The Grand Lodge of New York, nestled within the busy and sophisticated streets of elegant midtown Manhattan, is just as beautiful as other iconic structures. The building contains more than a dozen lodge rooms, each featuring its own organ and a set of custom-crafted columns, both designed to match the room they inhabit. In typical Masonic fashion, the lodge rooms are appointed in the ancient Greek architectural styles of Corinthian, Doric, and Ionic, with French Doric and French Ionic accomplices, plus colonial, empire, Gothic, Jacobian, and Renaissance styles rounding out the column themes. The elegant Gothic room is finished in the French style and features a starlight canopy of heaven ceiling and hand-carved gargoyles at the base of the ceiling beams. The Chapter Room is set in an Egyptian theme that was exclusively researched at the Philadelphia Museum of Art. It features terracotta colors and the four veils of Royal arch masonry that run the entire width of the room. Two must-visit rooms on the tour are the Hollander Room, that prominently displays a breathtaking statue of George Washington by artist Brian Baker, the statue differs in subtle but significant ways from the statue in the National Masonic Memorial, and the Grand Lodge Hall. The latter features a Tiffany stained glass ceiling that was duplicated for the ballroom of the Titanic and is lined with more than 50,000 sheets of Dutch metal gold leaf. The 14th floor of the Grand Lodge of New York houses the Chancellor Robert R. Livingston Masonic Library and Museum. The museum houses more than 50,000 Masonic artifacts that span over three centuries and maintains over three dozen display cases throughout the building. Notable holdings include two letters written by George Washington, a desk belonging to Norman Vincent Peale, a Masonic apron and collar worn by Sta- Spanish national hero brother Simon Bolivar, 32nd degree. Bolivar was South America's greatest generals. His victories over the Spanish won independence for Bolivia, Panama, Colombia, Ecuador, Peru, and Venezuela. Recently, the George Washington Masonic National Memorial in Alexandria, Virginia has begun digitizing the Livingston Library and Museum collection and posting it online. Currently, there are more than 2,000 scans of antique Masonic aprons, patents, lecture slides, historical sketches, bylaws, and more. The library offers an excellent 17-course reading program that focuses on Masonic philosophy and history. The 85-book program allows members of the Grand Lodge of New York to borrow the titles from the library. Additionally, the entire course is listed online for any member of the craft who desires it. Tours are conducted Monday through Saturday between the hours of 10.30 and 2.15. Group tours may be scheduled by special arrangement on Sunday and holidays by calling the Masonic Hall Tours Committee at 212-337-6602. The Library and Museum is open Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, 8.30 to 4.30, and 12 to 8, Tuesdays and Thursdays. Thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and leave us a comment.